1514 is a resource of the Biblical Counseling Coalition that is made possible in part by donations from listeners like you. Will you help us to continue this wonderful ministry by logging on and giving a special donation or becoming a monthly donor? You can do so by going to our website, biblicalcc.org, and clicking on the Donate button at the top. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome to 1514, a podcast of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. 1514 draws its name from Romans 15:14, where the Apostle Paul encourages the church that they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to counsel one another. I'm your host and the executive director of the BCC, Dr. Curtis Solomon, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome to today's episode of 1514. It's a pleasure to have you with us. I encourage you, if you're brand new to the podcast, to check out the other resource outlets of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. You can do so by visiting our website, biblicalcc.org, or if you're good at spelling, biblicalcounselingcoalition.org. Today, I have with me special guest, Kirsten Christensen, who serves at Side-by-Side Biblical Counseling, and she's also the crisis care coordinator at one of her church, uh, one of her church's campuses, and is here to talk to us today about how to create uh, a culture that cares for those who are abused and, and think about a ministry to people in those difficult situations. So, Kirsten, thanks so much for being with us today on 1514. Well, thank you for having me. So, Kirsten, besides the things that I've already said about you, could you introduce yourself some more to our audience? Sure. I uh, am a wife to Pete and a mom to Thad, um, who's in high school, which I can hardly believe. Um, We love spending time together. In the last few years, kind of made our way through the Marvel movies, which was a lot of fun. Um, Not something I would have done on my own, but so much fun with them. I love to talk about theology and um, about harder things, and I also really love to laugh with people and um, enjoy reading, writing, and good conversation like I always have with you. I, I agree. I, we Every time we get to connect, I really am blessed by it. We have a great conversations, and, and I'm excited to have one of those conversations that other people will get to listen to and benefit from today. Um, mm-hmm. t- tell us about... I mentioned the titles of the different ministry roles that you have right now, but could you tell us a little bit more what those mean? Mm-hmm. So I'll start with uh, at my local church campus. Um, I am the crisis care coordinator. So that originally I was the domestic abuse care coordinator, but we've um, changed that a little bit um, because there are a lot of hard things that happen to us in our lives. Mm-hmm. And that are a little bit require more than a couple weeks of meals or um, rides for the kids or whatever, but maybe are things that um, are happening in our lives that are going to be greater in duration and greater in suffering. Um, Sometimes those things um, even exceed the bandwidth of a small group. I know in our church, we try to say that that your primary care hopefully will come through the small group level And so um, we want to have somebody who coordinates that care that can get people where they need, that's tracking on that longer term level, um, maybe can bring to bear um, special resources that aren't needed in the normal woof and whoop of um, life in the church. 
So that's one thing that I do. And then a second thing that I do is uh, about four years ago, I, a little over four years ago, I started a biblical counseling practice and that's called side-by-side biblical counseling. And yes, that's a total um, rip off of Ed Welch's wonderful <laughs> book about how we live life side by side together. And part of the reason that I named it that, um, aside from, I just think that's a wonderful book is I really look at, um, biblical counseling and hopefully all counseling is we're doing life side by side. And I might have, um, some training or some experience or some biblical understanding that could really be helpful to you. And I know the Lord is going to use that and you and your story and experience um, to also sanctify me. So I like to say we get sanctified on the backs of each other. And I Mm. find that biblical counseling fits into that. Yeah, absolutely. And we won't, Ed won't expect any royalties every time we mention your counseling. He's never said anything yet. Yeah. Uh, What are the, as I mentioned before, and you mentioned we've connected a few different times and um, started, I think, at the ABC conference where we, I teach Mm -hmm. in the PTSD track there and you teach in the domestic abuse, domestic violence track. And our groups get together for lunch uh, every time we've we've, or at least for the last couple of years, minus 2020, because uh, yeah. there's a lot of overlap actually, um, even yeah. in the people that we would see and talk about. And uh, through those conversations, I was really encouraged by some of the ministry work you've done in your church, and invited you to come speak at the 2019 uh, BCC Leadership Summit, and was really encouraged by what you did there. And I appreciate your humility that you continually put forward that this is a work in progress. This is something that you Mm -hmm. and your church have not, you're not the experts on. That's not the only way to do things, but uh, there's, it's a significant ministry and a significant um, thing that churches need to be aware of and, and growing in and learning how to do better. So tell us a little bit about how you even got started in this type of work. Well, I think, um, I didn't share this at the summit, but I will hear. I think first and foremost, my passion is for good care in the church. Mm. Um, I think that the model of, you know, Jesus saying, I came to set free the captive, to set the captives free, to um, set free the oppressed. Um, as we look at his ministry, that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Mm. Um, there's just, there's inherent care in being brothers and sisters in Christ. And yet we're all sinners. And so anything that we see outside the church is surely in the church as well. We Mm -hmm. hope that we grow in sanctification and those things. um, We set aside every weight and sin that so easily entangles us. But still at the end of the day, you and I both know that um, we live in a fallen world and that that's in the church as well. And so for me, a passion had been care good care in the church because a good friend of mine, their daughter, when she was born, was born with just one kidney and then eventually was diagnosed with um, infant leukemia. Mm -hmm. And so they had 11 kids in their family and she was the baby. And the oldest, I think at that time was 18 or 19 and the homeschooled. And so I just could see that and think they are going to need, this is not just a couple of weeks of meals and, um, we're going to pray for you, but they're going to need on the ground, robust, wise care mm-hmm. for the next couple of years. I think for the first nine months, 
um, of the baby's life, like the mom and the baby lived in the hospital um, with just a few visits home. So that kind of, that sparks the question for me of how do people get care in our church? And where does somebody go and who's going to do that? Because even for a small group, that would be tricky, Mm -hmm. right? Like that's Mm -hmm. a long time. And then that um, led to me learning of a woman who went through a difficult thing where her husband um, uh, was arrested for molestation, child molestation. Mm. So again, we have a a thing that this is going to take a a different kind of care normally than somebody's having a baby. And so how does a woman in our church or a person in our church get care for that? And in that situation, I, it just came to pass that there just wasn't, we hadn't connected all the dots in our church. And I don't think that we were different than most churches. Um, And I think as things come up is when, how you learn to do them and every case is different. Every situation is different. So you're always having to, learn and grow and look to the Lord and look to the Bible. How, how do we do this? And so that's how it started in that process. It came out that there were some, uh, there was a woman in our church that was being abused. And, um, and as that came out, there were more. And so then the question of how do we address that? And what do we even think about this? Um, and that opened up a can, the proverbial can of worms. Yeah. What do we think about care? Um, what, what are we even getting ourselves into? Um, how should we do this? Should the church do this? Should this be referred out? And so that's how it all began. It's just very organically. And then a desire on the part of the, the senior pastor to address that. And it kind of took off from there. Yeah, no, that's that's a helpful background. And it's good too because, and like I mentioned, you guys have been adapting the ministry, but even your title change from a de- uh, domestic abuse coordinator to a crisis care coordinator mm-hmm. uh, encompasses far more than domestic abuse and acknowledges and recognizes those intense sufferings that do require more intense care for a longer mm-hmm. period of time. If you if you could, and and obviously with humility and caveats, uh, give us a brief overview of what this type of ministry might look like in a local church. And obviously every church congregation and size is going to have different things, but what are some thing, key things that people should be considering as they develop this culture and, and type of ministry? Well, first of all, I think you have to look at the Word of God and see what what does God say about abuse or Darby Strickland. Um, biblically locates that as oppression. Mm. Like, what does God say about this? What's our posture to be? And I, I've said from, I think pretty much the beginning, but want to say again, um, if you're going to address domestic abuse in your church, you just have to recognize it's a one ministry of the church, but it's not, it's not the most important one, but it is an important ministry. So just like disability ministry is, Mm not the most important, but it is important. Children's ministry, all of these things come to play. And another caveat that I'll just say is um, one of the things that it took me several years to kind of get here, but I, it's really feels like it's wise and good is that if you get 20 people together in a church and you ask them, are you getting good care from your church? probably a significant number of will say, no, they didn't, you know, I've, I've been going through this or I went through Mm. that. And 
I feel like I really wasn't seen or served. I think that all of us, when we're going through something, we want somebody to hold our hand because it's hard. And the reality is, is that um, that can't happen in the way that we would like. And that's where we have to press into the Lord. And at the same time, um, the Bible clearly says that we're to one another, each other, and gives categories for that. And so what I, I came to the place to saying is like, I think the good Samaritan is such a great story because the person who was left beating, beaten and bleeding by the side of the road, isn't demanding that somebody stop and care, mm-hmm. right? They're bleeding and they're beaten. But the good Samaritan comes along and says, I cannot in good conscience walk by. I've got to get this person to the appropriate care. I've got to pay for some of it. I've got to get them there and make sure that it's the right care. And so domestic abuse care is the same as any care in that way of like, it's not going to be perfect. You're not going to be able to do all of it. And none of us gets to demand this this type of care, we get to give it, we get to, to go on behalf of someone else and say, I would like to come alongside you and help you. And so that's my hope for domestic abuse care ministry or any care ministry in the churches. We say, we want to be the good Samaritan in each other's lives. We want to one another, each other well. And so um, what does that look like in a church? So domestic abuse care is hard because um, while there's lots of similarities between situations, there's also tons of differences. And so it takes a lot of wisdom and it takes a lot of patience and care and time. And, um, and that requires some things underneath the foundation. So one that I said, like, what does the Bible say about this? Coming up with a working definition, even in our church today, like we're still talking through what what is a definition for abuse that everyone can live with? Mm. And I would just say, okay, what's a definition of justification that everyone can live with or sanctification? Like if I ask you and then I go and I ask DA Carson, you know, you guys are going to want to tweak each other, right? Mm. You're going to say, well, you're not quite getting this aspect of it. And the same is true of abuse or disability or anything. It's, it's so wide ranging. So being able to be on the same page about those things. And then what are the resources that a church has? What, you know, if you only have 50 people in your church um, versus 5,000 people, that's going to look very different. Um, And I think churches have to really decide, is this something we can do or are we going to um, refer this out? And both of those things have, um, benefits and costs. Mm-hmm. So if you refer out, eventually it's going to come back to you because your church members are going to need some counsel from shepherding. Um, but it means that it's less taxing on your church overall. If you are going to keep it in, it's it means that you are going to be able to shepherd in a more hands-on way, but that is going to be taxing to the resources. No, that's a that's a good word to really evaluate ahead of time what scripture says, what do we have, what can we do in this. And you mentioned briefly Darby Strickland's uh Darby Strickland and her newest her new book, Is It Abuse, just came out. And as like you were mm-hmm. saying, I mean, that's a book 
uh, she does more than just answer that question, but it's a three quarter inch book. I mean, thick, yes. you know, it's a thick yes. book on yes. that topic. So there is a lot to, to consider and think about. So, um, you mentioned, and I actually, I hadn't thought about it until now, but just even with the good Samaritan, uh, you mentioned in the conversation a little bit, this is not a one person, like you don't just enter in one mm-hmm. person alone, enter into this. And, Thinking about the Good Samaritan, like he he had a donkey and he incorporated the 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 host in the in the hotel or whatever he where he drops this guy off. Uh, domestic abuse counseling and care is a team effort. Uh, Chris Moles mm-hmm. talks about this. You've talked about it. Others, uh, I think everybody who talks about it and works there recognizes that. Tell us why is that important and maybe some of the roles that that need to be filled by team members in that uh in those teams Mm -hmm. well i think first of all you just look at our culture and you can understand why you need a team approach right we can all say that we love jesus and our believers and even can say we're reformed or we're this or that and see something very differently Mm -hmm. and i think that um one i always say that one of the best gifts after Jesus that God gives us as believers is the gift of each other, the body of Mm -hmm. Christ. Um, So he has a place for everyone. Everyone not is just welcome at the table, but they're needed at the table. Um, And that we, that, that, that blood bought brother and sistering, that's those siblings. When we're all doing what God has called each one of us to do in the body, we will be all taken care of. And so, um, and so for me, the team coming around a couple that is struggling. And so I'm going to pause here for a second and just take a step back and say, you know, in the field that you specialize in, which is trauma, if you go into the church or even if you go out into, you know, do a Jay Leno and go ask 10 people on the street, how do you define trauma? Mm-hmm. What do you think, how it should be cared for, whatever? You're going to get at least eight different opinions and probably 10. Yes. Like this is hard stuff to define and to come to a common understanding. And then it's even harder to go into the actual weeds of the thing. And so um, it takes great humility. So at the end of the day, I think the biggest thing I've learned over the six years that I've been involved in this type of ministry is how much humility it takes and um, being willing to hear from the other people on the team and to be wrong or to say, I'm not there. Tell me more. Like, Mm. let's refine, let's sharpen each other. Let's keep walking this out. And so I think the team, number one, um, sharpens each other. The Lord has given us different experiences. We have different understandings of scripture that he because of our experiences, we grasp things better. Some things we don't grasp as well. The Holy Spirit hasn't worked in us in all the same ways. And so we sharpen one another. We strengthen one another. We encourage each other. Um, and I think the second thing that the team brings is that there no one person is doing this really hard work and no one gets burned out. So for instance, let's go back to the family that I told you about with 11 kids. Like, there was a tremendous team that we were able to build around and everybody had their role and we were able to serve them. And it did take every bit of two years. Like by the end of the two years, 
the meals were a little bit more limping along, but they were still coming in two or three meals a week. Mm -hmm. And that's significant. And that's because there was a team and it was a robust team. And so I think um, that's the other thing is it just prevents fatigue. And I Mm -hmm. think in fatigue, you can make mistakes um, more easily. And then I think the other thing with the team is um, there is something um, about the refining nature on each one of us, even in how we think about um, how we think about theological things that we help each other grow in those places. Um, in the one anothering of each other, we become better sisters and brothers, and we mm. more and more image Christ. So we had situations where we there wasn't complete agreement on how to move forward, and the elders had to make hard choices on how to handle things. And I would say by and large, often as we walked things out, the Lord was so kind by his Holy Spirit to get everyone on the same page and to really be able to serve this, this couple that we were serving. Yeah. No, that's really good. It's, uh, you really highlighted a lot of the benefits that come from having a team approach and the, the necessity of it. Um, if, if you were to, I know each team could maybe have a little bit of a breakdown, but if there were, if you're going to define key necessary roles, like I know, uh, you would say the, the, the victim needs a counselor, the perpetrator mm-hmm. needs a counselor, do you need another a separate counselor for when if yep. if and when they end up in marriage counseling? Do you need somebody to uh, somebody from the authorities? You know, like it, when you start thinking about who has to be at this table or who has to be make up those things, who would you recommend? Yeah, I think um, the way that I where I've where I've landed, I think is that um, I think each person I. The word out there is advocate. People use mm-hmm. that they each person needs an advocate. I think I, I agree with that. So I've got friends in this arena who are probably going to cringe, but I'll just go on record and say <laughs> my one concern about the word advocate is that there's a legal connotation. Like I'm going to make that yeah. argument for you. And we all know that in our courts, like sometimes people make arguments for people that they don't even believe. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I want I want disciples for each person, mm. somebody who's going to walk alongside them and wisely apply, apply scripture to helping them grow in their own faith and also to um, being sure that they are um, being treated the way that God would ordain in a marriage to happen. Mm. So Ephesians five, where we have a husband who is loving his wife and washing her with the word um, and prevent uh, presenting her sanctified to the Lord and a wife who is respecting and submitting this, her husband as unto the Lord. Like that, that is the covenant picture. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think um, this discipler, I want this discipler, you know, when I, when I would sit down with a woman at first, I'd say, there's nothing that you've done to deserve this behavior. If it's an ongoing pattern of control, manipulation, abuse, right? There's nothing you've done to warrant or deserve this. And the Lord has sanctification for you. I want both of those things to be happening. 
for each of those people. And so I like the term discipler. I want that person to grow in their faith, even as they're having to heal or learn that the way they've, um, the way they've lived in relationship is destructive and sinful and godless. And then um, we like to have two elders on each situation mm. again, so that they wouldn't burn out and also that they could sharpen each other. And, uh, you know, somebody can, we, we all can get it wrong. Like we can see something wrong. And so usually if there's a second person in there, that's helpful that way. Um, and then each of them has a counselor um, and then there's releases of information for everyone so that no one is kind of giving counsel in the dark. Mm. And then eventually, hopefully, if there's marriage counseling, which is what I would always want. And sometimes even in the midst of this, sometimes meeting with a counselor together so that things can be communicated in, in a good context when they're, it's warranted. Yeah. Um, sometimes that's a separate counselor. Sometimes one of the counselors will take over. And I just think that that's a wisdom call. Yeah. I think those are the roles. And then there has been a hope that a small group could also come around. Hmm. Um, That can be, uh, that again, takes a lot of wisdom is what I'll say. It just takes a lot of wisdom. No, that's a, that's a good word. And it's a, a Chris Moles hits on this a lot. And I think you would agree that if, for those of you who are listening and if you've never done this type of work, when you, one of the big things I took away from our time together was if you're doing marriage counseling and abuse, it becomes evident that abuse is taking place. You're not doing marriage counseling anymore. You are, that that stops and you are doing individual (laughs) counseling with both of these people. Uh, And I think that's really important for people to hear because so um, just not, not, for any ill intent or bad reason, but just out of ignorance and not a people yeah. expect that, Oh, I can handle this. I can, and the, I just continue to work through this in a marriage situation. And it's, it's, that's not the case. It's very different. Yeah. So I think, um, uh, Oh, I'm blanking on the name right now, but I sat in a CCF, um, seminar. I can't believe I'm blanking on the name, but anyway, um, he said where the three, a, any of the three A's are present. So addiction, abuse, um, addiction, abuse, adultery, that marriage counseling has to be paused. And yep. I think that's yep. the word that it freaks people out, right? Like, no, we, we want this marriage to work. Well, yes, but the goal isn't to get this couple <laughs> to the end of the days where they say, you know, it's miserable and we sinned against each other horrendously every day of our lives, but by goodness, we stayed married. No, we want this to be a picture of Christ in the church. That's upholding the covenant. And so we want to bring bear the help that each one of them needs in order for that to happen. That's my passion. And so in order to do that, sometimes we have to pause marriage counseling so that somebody can deal with something that really is just their issue um, for the sake of coming back together. And so I think I like the word pause as opposed to stop Yeah. because I think it's truer to what I'm hoping for. And I think most people are hoping for. No, absolutely. That's a good, that's a good clarification. And it's just like any, I mean, if you're building a building and you start digging the foundation of all of a sudden you uncover a, a 
spring or a, a huge boulder. You got to pause, take care of that issue, and then yeah. you can continue the building process. And yeah, it's, it's like that. No, yeah. and I appreciate that. I don't know who did that con- that seminar as well, but yeah, that three A that's helpful: adultery, abuse, addiction. If those are happening, Aaron Cerrone. Oh, Aaron. Yeah, I was. Yeah. I almost threw his name out there, but there's so many yeah. great teachers at CCF. I didn't oh, want to. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Miss. Um. Good. Well, man, we're time is flying. You shared some of this, and I, I know just from our personal conversations, there's been great fruit post um, that 2019 summit. Uh, could you share some people, like, what was that experience like for you coming? Because you're not on the BCC Council. You came as a guest speaker. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that like for you, and what was some of the fruit that you've seen from that that meeting? Well, I... You know, I mean, I teased you endlessly about only getting 20 minutes to uh-huh. speak yep, at that thing. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll just get that in again. Um, so I think, I think the, um, the beauty of that was being able to sit down with some of the larger biblical counseling communities, um, great godly people. Um, who are attempting to, in different ways, apply scripture to all of the joys and sufferings of that this life just holds, mm-hmm. um, to be able to sit down and learn from each other and share was just huge. The um, structure of the large group meetings, then going to these small groups and then breaking into, you know, kind of interest areas or expertise areas. I found all of that really helpful. Um, I, uh, I made a great friend that I didn't expect, which was Jim Neuheiser, who everybody adores. Like, I don't know how can you not love Jim (laughs) Neuheiser, but, um, I do. And he was so humble and said, you know, I, I, I shared with him that our church had used his book on, um, marriage, divorce and remarriage and, uh, was just thankful for it. And he, asked me like, what did you think of this chapter? And would you be willing and invited me to help edit it? Mm. And, um, that was just such an incredible honor. And, um, he and I have touched base along with his, his wife, Caroline, Mm -hmm. multiple times over this last year and count them as, as friends. They've helped in a family situation actually. And so that was just a joy. And, um, I, I just think, it's good when people come together to be sharpened and to humbly say, um, how can I do this better? How can I better um, bring the gospel to bear in these situations that I'm walking in, in these really hard situations? So even if you remember in, um, I think it was during Chris's presentation, um, you we brought something up about PTSD and veterans yeah. and mm-hmm. Then you afterwards, you and and one other person for another reason reached out to me to say, hey, you said this. Can you help me understand? Can we can you help me understand what you're thinking? This is my concern. And I was able to come back and say, can we have a conversation about this? Because I want to be sharpened. And that led to two really fruitful conversations for me. And I I think each of you said for you, too. So I just I just think as the body of Christ, um, we stand on the word, um, and yet we, as uh, Andy Nacelli just preached a sermon at our church uh, yesterday about the Bible, we stand on the word, 
And yet we, we are human and our understanding is we have different lenses because of our experiences, because of our own sin natures, because of our weaknesses, because of our strengths, we have these lenses. And so we need each other to constantly be able to say, help me see this better. Even though I feel really pretty convicted over here, I'm open to hearing and I'm open to be corrected where I need to be corrected or strengthened. So I think the BCC summit was just a beautiful example of that. It was great for me. Well, thanks for the encouragement and praise the Lord too. Cause I mean, that is our hope and our desire. And, and honestly, like I've wanted to find ways to more publicly demonstrate what we get to do, because especially in the climate that we're living in right now, that is so divisive um, mm-hmm. to actually manifest to the world, loving, humble disagreement and conversation yeah. that is productive and so that we show people when when Jesus says people will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another that they actually yeah. see what that yeah. looks yeah. like. Amen. Um yeah. yeah, that's a I love getting to be a part of of that type of work. Um obviously there's a lot more that we could say about this. I think some of the things that are just a re-highlight for everybody, the necessity of thinking through well-foundational beliefs and issues and definitions on this topic, the need for good team and cooperation would be really good um, in, in, in caring for people who are going through domestic violence, domestic abuse. But what other, um, as people want to, if they're considering pursuing this in their local church, which mm-hmm. they should, where could they go to get more equipping? Uh, what resources would you recommend as they're thinking through how to develop this type of ministry? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I was looking back on my um, notes of the, the final talk and what have you, and I would say, here's some things that I would do. I think number one, humility. So there's, I think as, as leaders in a church, if, if I were a leader in a church, I would not want to consider that there are people who are addicted to pornography. There are people who abuse each other. There are people who abuse children. There are people who are stealing and embezzling from their workplaces. Like it's hard. We, we want to think, no, we've preached the word in such a way that it's taken hold and yeah. we don't have that here. And I think that that is, un, that's not, helpful or loving to the people in the congregation. Um, I think we need to be humble and say, yep, we we're here, but the difference is that we can believe the gospel and we can own these things. Like we can call them out in, in each other and we can own these things because Jesus blood has covered all of it. And so for anything that you bring to me as a sister, there's 40 more pages of stuff you don't even know about. Mm. And I'll, I can own them because Jesus blood covers them. And that type of humility will make a ministry and a church soar. Um, the Lord promises that in his word. I think getting trained, John Henderson was very helpful. Chris Moles has been helpful. Darby Strickland, Jeremy Pierre, Greg Wilson. Um, I think reading. Um, and what I would say first is reading the Bible and looking at the whole council of scripture over and over and over and over again, Jesus says to us, we're supposed to care for each other mm-hmm. and for the people who are oppressed particularly. And he had a heart for the oppressed, not more than anybody else, but not less than anyone else. And so reading scripture about what does that look like? And 
I, I just a word like I think when we're in dire straits, we want good care, and the church just like is made up of sinners. It's also made up of people who are all stretched to the maximum. Mm. And so care is never going to be what we want it to be. And we should never have a posture of demanding or expecting a certain kind of care. We just should always have the posture of, I want to make sure that I want, I outdo somebody else in love yeah. um, to remember um, to expect disagreements and that we can, we can, work through those. And so um, Andy Nacelli and J.D. Crowley have a great book, Conscience, What It Is, How to Train It, and Loving Those Who Differ. Mm. I think that's key. Another thing is theological ter- terms. It's not just defining abuse, but how do we think about God's sovereignty um, where he doesn't give the fail- fairy tale ending? What do we mean when we say repentance? Is it just when somebody says they're sorry, or mm. is it bearing fruit in keeping with repentance? How do we think about church discipline? Do we actually do that? In what cases do we do that? And how bad does it have to get? How long does the pattern have to go before somebody gets disciplined? What is a marriage covenant? And what does it mean to uphold it? Is it just that you stayed married? Or is it supposed to actually image something? Um, Is there a quality to the covenant? Abuse and oppression, submission, um, complementarity. um, That's huge. Like, now, now I notice we've got adjectives about complementarity. I thought that we just had like the word, but now there's soft complementarians, there's broad, there's narrow. How do we think about those things as a church? Is our leadership on the same page? Is everybody bought into this? What constitutes infidelity? Does pornography, does looking at pornography constitute that or is it actual intercourse like those things come up Mm -hmm, Um, abandonment mm -hmm. how do you define abandonment is it that somebody's just left the home and they're no longer giving money or is it when they're destroying their family is that abandoning the family those are things you have to reckon with the domestic abuse ministry reveals weaknesses in a church and that's a grace of god because we want to grow stronger And you'll need to think about pornography. We talked about that, right? Mm -hmm. How to minister to the children of all of these situations. Trauma, you know that, like trauma, PTSD, that's long-term work. Um, I could go on and on, but those are just things, like we just need to think about those things biblically and deeply and then come to one mind as much as possible. And the last thing I'll just say is I find in churches, I've been in a lot of churches, We don't know how to have hard conversations. We don't know how to disagree and keep coming back to the table respectfully, lovingly, without flipping over and without becoming hard-hearted to just keep saying, okay, we're going to take an hour and we're going to talk about this. Then I'm going to go away and pray and I'm going to read my Bible again. And then we're going to come back in a couple of weeks and we're going to talk again. And we're just going to chip away at this until we get there. That's what the people of God do. And that's what the culture is desperate for right Mm. now. And that's especially true in domestic abuse ministry. Yeah, well, that's good. Uh, It just came, came, dawned on me that a great, great resource for not only finding domestic abuse resources, but all biblical counseling resources. Bob Kellerman uh, puts out an Mm. annual guide for biblical counseling resources, and he just just updated the 2021 edition. And it's alphabetized by topics and he lists every book from our camp written on every topic. And there's a great, great section on, on abuse. Mm. So 
well, we have our last two minutes we save for a segment called Two Minute Favorites. It's kind of a fun okay. way for people to get to know you. Occasionally, people have been mailed candy after this interview, so, you know, um, no promises, but it's, it, it's possible. So are you ready for this? I am ready for it. All right, here we go. What is your favorite food? Lobster. Favorite color? Yellow. Favorite sport? Uh, college football, roll tide, roll tide, roll tide tonight. <laughs> so I was going to ask favorite sports team, but I think you just answered that. So uh, yeah. favorite gift you've ever received? Um, boy, the favorite. I think my, my engagement ring from my husband. Mm. Favorite gift you've he ever. did it. Beautiful, beautiful story. Yep. Uh, favorite gift you've ever given, or you can tell the story of favorite gift you've ever received. Mm. Uh, I'll just say that Pete, um, had, he had the ring. He worked with an art gallery, and he had it underneath glass in on a pillar in this art gallery. And then he arranged that we were going to go look at this art gallery. And there was this ring with this iris and this beautiful letter. And I said... Oh my gosh, Pete, this is so amazing. Somebody else like is named Kirsten. <laughs> but is, and he just looked at me like, hello. I, and it took a while for it to dawn on me, but it, the presentation and then just what the letter said was beautiful. Way to go, and Pete. Probably the best gift I've given is, um, I don't know. That's a really good question. I'll have to come back to that. All right. Favorite candy? Um, uh, my friend Heather's uh, brittle, uh, no, not brittle, um, toffee, toffee, English toffee. All right. Favorite word? Humility. Least favorite word? Hard-hearted. Favorite book of the Bible? Oh, that's really hard. Um, I'd have to say at the end of the day, Ephesians. All right. Well, that wraps up our time together today, Kirsten. So thanks so much for joining us for 1514. All right. Well, thank you for having me. And uh, may God bless us all in trying to help people who need it. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of 1514. If you'd like to find out more about the Biblical Counseling Coalition, you can visit our website at biblicalcc.org. Special thanks to our podcast engineer, James Wills, who does all the post-production editing to make this podcast sound so wonderful. Also want to thank my assistant, Carrie Felton, for helping to arrange these interviews. And a special thanks to Andrew Riddell, who composed and recorded the music we use on 1514. I hope you have a wonderful day.